Well, good morning, Life Church Buffalo. How's everyone feeling today? So good to see all of you here today. If we've not yet had the privilege to meet, my name is Pete. I serve as the lead pastor here. And on behalf of all the staff and the volunteers here, we just want to say how excited uh, that we are, how honored we are that you are here with us today. We know that there's a lot of things that you could be doing with your Sunday morning. There's a lot of churches that you could be checking out, but you're here with us today. And uh, we don't take that lightly. So we hope that you've enjoyed your experience with us so far here today, uh, that you've felt loved and welcomed and that you've sensed the presence of God here and that you're going to continue to experience that as we dig into God's word here in just a moment. But I just wanted to say how excited we are to have you with us today. As you just heard Pastor Nate say, we are kind of wrapping up this little mini-series that we've been in called We Can Do More Together, where we're kind of talking about and focusing on the next generation. And there's a couple reasons why I decided to, to do this series uh, it's very near and dear to my heart uh, for several reasons. The first being, you know, next to my parents, the person that probably more influenced my life than any other person uh, came into my life when I was in sixth grade. At a time when I didn't have a lot of friends, my family had moved from Buffalo, New York to Sacramento, California, and I was in a new school and a new church. You know, a lot of changes happening in my life during that time. And there was a guy by the name of Hector Gutierrez who took an interest in my life and showed up in my life, became a consistent leader in my life. Took me out, played basketball, took me out to eat, picked me up for youth group and drove me home from youth group. And he impacted my life in a way that made me want to stay engaged in the church and stay engaged in faith. And right here, the other reason why this series and this topic is so important to me is because we're experiencing that right here in our own church. As you heard Nate say just a moment ago that we've got students who are encountering Jesus, encountering faith, and are experiencing life change for the first time. You've heard him reference a student by the name of Angel, who just last year, last summer, was out here. He's from the neighborhood, was playing on the playground on the day when we as a church were going to Pentecost together with the Church of Western New York downtown at the Keybank Center Arena. And we just said to him, hey, you're coming with us. And he called his mom and got permission. He went with us as a church, even though he had never, you know, been with us before. Accepted Christ at Pentecost together, then went to Kingdom Bound with the youth group a month or two later. Recommitted his life and said, yes, this is definitely what I want to do with my life. I want to follow Jesus. And he, more than any other kid in our youth group, is the one who brings other kids. He's the biggest guest bringer of all the other students in our youth group. Life change is happening here at Life Church Buffalo. And so we've been focusing on the story of Nehemiah to kind of use that as a backdrop for us because Nehemiah was a guy that, just like many of us, was just going about his business, living his life in the 5th century B.C., he was doing his job serving King Artaxerxes of Persia. And just to kind of give those of you who may not have been here last week a recap, I want to kind of go through some of what we talked about last week so that we're all on the same page together here today. You know, in 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem, laid waste to Jerusalem. They captured all of the Israelites and took them to Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. And then 47 years later, the Persians rose to power, and they conquered the Babylonians. And a year later, King Cyrus issued this edict that the Jerusalems, who were in exile at the time, could go back to their ancestral homeland. And some of them went back, others didn't. 
And then Nehemiah shows up on the scene about 93 years later in 445 BC. After he hears news from one of his brothers who had been back to Israel and had come back to Babylon to give this report. And the way that Nehemiah responds to that report is something that I think serves as a great example for us as the church on how we can address what is broken in our communities and in the world around us, especially as it applies to our next generation. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 1, we talked last week about the first thing that Nehemiah did when he heard the information was acknowledge the problem. He named the problem. He named the problem. And the Bible tells us that the first response he had to the news that he was given was to mourn, to fast, and to pray. And for several days, that's all he did, was sit in the knowledge that the place of his people was in utter ruin. And Nehemiah's response to that teaches us something, which is that if we can't name the problem, then we can't fix the problem. As a people, we've got to be willing to confront and to name what is wrong in our community, in our society, and in the world around us. Because if we can't name the problem, then we can't fix the problem. After Nehemiah named the problem, though, he jumped into action. And with that, he taught us a very important lesson about being God's people, which is that your responsibility in your community has nothing to do with your profession. Just because you're not the pastor of the church doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to play when it comes to fixing what is broken, to being a part of rebuilding what has been destroyed. When it comes to being a part of helping the next generation, that means that there are times when what is happening in the world around us requires that you leverage whatever you have that you leverage whatever you have, just like Nehemiah did. He was cupbearer to the king, which meant his job was to serve. But when he found out what was wrong in his hometown, not only did he leverage what he had, he risked everything that he had. It was a risky thing to approach the throne, to use his access to the king to request help that he could go back and help rebuild the wall and rebuild the gates of Jerusalem. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a religious leader. He was just a guy that got to serve the king in the palace. And he leveraged and risked everything he had to help his people. Because people matter. He could have, it could have cost him everything. It could have cost him his cushy palace job. But he did it anyway because people matter. And we should do likewise. Nehemiah leveraged everything that he had in order to ask the king for resources so that he could go back and be a part of fixing it. And so the next thing he did was to go see for himself. And when it comes to fixing things that are broken, sometimes you've just got to go see for yourself. We can't just trust the words of other people. We've got to get up close and personal ourselves. See, because by putting himself where he was needed the most, Nehemiah demonstrated something that we can learn from today, which is that proximity always changes your perspective. We talked about that last week. The closer you are to something, the better you can see. And the closer you get to the problem, the more of an impact you can have in fixing it. Proximity changes your perspective. And so we left off last week with this somber realization that there is a generation right now sitting in the wings that there are some pictures of coming up right now that show you what some of the generations sitting in the wings look like. 
Friday night was a paint war night with our youth group where they got to just have fun and throw paint at each other. Who wouldn't want to get close to that? Now, come on. There's a generation, though, sitting in the wings waiting and wondering how close their leaders are willing to get. There's another picture of some of the leaders that are currently leading our student ministry alongside Pastor Nate. Right now, just like in Nehemiah's time, there was a generation sitting in the wings, and we have one now, wondering how close their leaders are willing to get. They're watching to see how far the generation before them, the one that is sitting in this room right now, are willing to go. And they're waiting to make a decision about the God that we say we serve. And if we're not willing to get close, we can lose them. But... We don't have to. If we're willing to get close, in order to reach them, we have to get close to them. Because the truth is this, and this is where we left off last week. There is no substitute in a kid's life for a consistent leader. No substitute. And that's where we're going to pick up today. We have to get close to the next generation if we're going to impact their future and their relationship with God. So getting back into Nehemiah's story, we're going to kind of like overview chapters 2 through 8 as we wrap up the series. Nehemiah teaches us something about expectations in his story. You see, when he gets back to Jerusalem, it was very clear that everybody in the town was expected to participate in rebuilding the town. And it seems like there were a lot of people who weren't qualified or specialized in construction that were a part of the building crews and rebuilding the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. You can find Nehemiah's visionary speech as he rallies everyone to the cause. It's not very long. He simply says to them in Nehemiah 2.17, it's in your notes in your bulletin, you see the trouble we're in. And then he names the problem. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then the people replied, verse 18, let us start rebuilding. And they began. So it was an interesting group of volunteers, no doubt, 2,500 years ago. Perfume makers, jewelry designers, preachers, politicians, merchants, and of course, a cupbearer as well, all working together on the construction crews which means there were a lot of people doing something that they were not experts at doing. Sometimes you just have to do something that you're not good at or do something that you don't know how to do. When it comes to fixing things that are broken, sometimes we've just all got to jump in and be a part of the solution. I love the story of Nehemiah because, you know, what doesn't happen here is Nehemiah doesn't hand out a spiritual gifts test and say, hey, I want you to take this so that we can see how you're uniquely gifted so that we know where to place you as a volunteer. And I say that with a little bit of reluctance because as a pastor, I am super passionate about helping people discover how God wired you and the spiritual gifts he placed inside of you when you said yes to him and his Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you because I want people to serve in an area where their gifts and their passions align and come together and you can be both fruitful and fulfilled. But that's not what happened here. There are some times when we realize what's broken that everyone's just got to get involved and you got to do something that you may not know how to do. Nehemiah didn't offer a class to everyone to help you discover your passions and talents. And nobody said, well, I'm just going to wait on God until he tells me where I'm supposed to get involved. They didn't pray about whether or not they should do it. 
They prayed while they were doing it. They didn't wait until they learned how to do it. They learned how to do it while they were doing it. Why? Because people were in danger. Evil was outside the gate. The enemies of Israel were gathering together, conspiring about moving in and attacking them. Children were at risk. And God's reputation with an entire generation was on the line. There was too much at stake. And the same is true for us today. People are in danger. The enemy is right outside the gate. Children are at risk in the faith of an entire generation. God's reputation with the next generation is at risk. There's too much at stake. Nehemiah never once said that it was going to be easy. He rallied them to do something that they didn't know how to do. And he invited them to do something that seemed impossible, something that could only be done if they worked together. Now, I'm not going to tell you that what we need to do as a church with the task that lies in front of us is easy. Who said it was supposed to be easy anyway? As a church, we're not going to ask you to do less. We're actually going to ask you to do more. We're not going to ask you to show up a couple times a year or even once a month. We're going to ask you to show up every week because there's no substitute in a kid's life for a consistent leader. You heard me say last week that we're not going to measure success as a church by how many people show up on Sunday morning, but rather we're going to measure success as a church by how many people are willing to show up in the lives of others. Think about this. Everybody that Nehemiah needed in order to rebuild the town was already in the town. They already lived in the community. Some of the same people who had been sitting around for decades not doing anything were the same people who rebuilt the gates and the walls. And as a church, the people we need are already here because you're here. I don't know why some of us in this room have stopped dreaming, why some of us in this room have stopped influencing. Maybe you've never considered the idea that you're meant to be a part of the solution to rebuild and to restore what's broken in the lives of other people around you in the lives of people in our community? Well, today, we're inviting you to be a part of something bigger than yourselves. We want you to imagine what can happen in the hearts of a generation if we, as the church, will start working together. You know, there's another, another group of people in Nehemiah's story that we want to challenge here today, too. We can't leave them out, and you would think that it would be an obvious part, but we often overlook and don't leverage their potential. See, Nehemiah rallied this group at just the right time. It was during a turning point in the story. It happened at the most critical stage of their project to try and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and the gates that protected it. They were halfway into the construction phase when things started to unravel. The people started to get restless. They were getting tired. Everything began to kind of pile up at once. The verbal attacks the threats, the skepticism, the complaints, the rumors, the morale and attitude of the people was beginning to shift. With an enemy right outside the gates intimidating them, threatening to invade, people began to panic. And what Nehemiah did next is something that was so genius, and I think we need to learn this as a church. He rallied families and parents to assume a new level of responsibility. 
This is how he describes the scene in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, and look it, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then look what he says. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Can you imagine the emotion of this moment? Everybody knows that the enemy is planning to attack. Everybody's ready to give up. And so Nehemiah organizes them by families, posts them at the gaps in the wall, and says, remember not what you're fighting for, remember who you're fighting for. And that one move, Nehemiah recasted the vision in a way that became personal to everyone. This was no longer about simply living in a broken down city. This was no longer about just doing what's right for the community. This wasn't even just about demonstrating who God is. This was about your sons and your daughters, your wives, your home, your families. He's saying, let's be clear about what's at stake here. And here's something that's interesting. Here's a truth that I pull out of that. When parents stood in the gap, then the enemy decided not to attack. When parents stood in the gap, the enemy decided not to attack. When Nehemiah rallied the parents, it was a game changer in the story. This one strategic move changed the momentum of the whole story. And I believe that if every parent in our church understood what's really at stake for the future of their son or daughter, it would change the entire momentum of our church. I believe it would change the momentum of our community. And I think it would change how our community views the church. If every parent truly understood what was at stake when it comes to the future of their son and their daughter and the next generation in our church, See, and Nehemiah was fighting for something bigger than just rebuilding the town. He believed that the condition of the town was related to the condition of their faith. Both of those issues were always at stake for Nehemiah as, as far as he was concerned. Because if you read his prayers throughout the book, if you fast forward to the end of the story, you realize that Nehemiah was driven to help a generation know God. What Nehemiah was fighting for was so much bigger than a building project. So don't miss what he did here in this moment. Nehemiah leveraged the concern of parents for their children's future to position them as champions for their children's faith. That's what Nehemiah was doing. He leveraged the concern that all parents have for their children's future to position them as champions for their children's faith. And as your pastor, that's simply what I'm trying to do as well. I'm trying to leverage your concern for your children's futures. Because I know you love your kids. You want what's best for them. You want them to have a successful life. But do you also want them to have a faith that's going to last them and serve as a guiding force for them when they leave the influence of your home? Do you want them to truly know and serve God with their life when they leave your nest? I'm trying to leverage your concern, your love for your kids in the next generation to position you to be champions for their faith. Nehemiah made parents 
the champions of the story. And yes, all the way through the story, Nehemiah makes sure that the people understand that it's God who's working with them, who's helping them be successful in what happens to Jerusalem. But there's this sense that Nehemiah was positioning parents to be the heroes as well. Yes, God was with them, but he was helping parents to be the champions in the story, to be the heroes. Think about it. When Nehemiah asked parents to stand in the gap, he sparked the emotional awareness about what was at risk. He made them the heroes for their kids' hearts. He positioned them as the leaders. He set them up to win. Nehemiah was never just fighting for a generation's existence. He was fighting for a generation's concept of God. That's why throughout the story, he connects the condition of the town with the condition of their faith. And as parents and as people of faith, I feel like sometimes we miss this because we don't connect the condition of the town or the family or our community to the condition of our future or our faith like we should in a practical way. We need to help parents see that our church is here to help them win. But we can't change how parents see the church until we as a church change how we see parents. See, so, so oftentimes if a parent doesn't come to church, we think it's because they, you know, just, they're opposed to church. But I think it's really because they don't truly understand that we're here to help them win. They aren't clear how that happens. And if that were more obvious to the community around us, then I think more parents would have a different attitude about the church and about faith. See, we have the potential as a church to redefine how we, as the church, inspire every parent for the sake of a generation who's at risk of not knowing who God really is. And when a parent understands that's what we're doing, then they'll start to trust the church some more. And I think as a church, we also underestimate the impression that we make on kids and teenagers by how we work together. I think that kids will ultimately decide what they think about our church based not just upon how we treat them, but also how we treat their parents. See, this generation that's coming up right now, they can spot a fake from a mile away. They want what's genuine. They want what's real and what's authentic. They want to see people putting faith to action, not just talking about God, but see us living it out. And this generation is hungry for a better version of the church that makes people a priority, that doesn't just talk about loving others, but actually does it by showing up in the lives of others. And I think that's what made Nehemiah relentless in his determination to finish what they started. He knew a generation would decide what they believed about God based upon whether or not they were going to be able to refinish that wall and rebuild that town. That's why he pushed through every obstacle and refused to come down off that wall. Because some of the enemies outside the wall were sending messengers trying to get Nehemiah to come down off of the wall to trick him. And he was saying, no, what I'm doing is too important. I'm not going to come down. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to lead my people. I'm going to show them we're working together to rebuild what's broken. He set an example so everyone would keep doing what needed to be done, which was to keep working together regardless. To keep working together regardless. We make so much more of an impact 
on a generation when we work together to confront what's broken, regardless of the differences we have with one another. Keep working together regardless of the fact that some of us are Democrats and some of us are Republican. Some are liberal, some are conservative, some are rich, some are poor. See, what unites us is so much greater than all those things that culture wants us to look at as being what separates us and divides us. Keep working together regardless. Nehemiah simply decided that Jerusalem's problems were his problems. He could have stayed in Suda, the town where he was in in Babylon. But no, he got up close and personal and he decided, this is my problem. And then he convinced everyone, said, hey guys, this is our problem. And what seems impossible suddenly becomes possible when it's no longer your problem or my problem, but our problem. Sometimes I think the people of Jerusalem were expecting God to just do another miracle for them like they had heard he had done for previous generations. And I think sometimes we do the same. We find ourselves in a situation that seems impossible for us to get out of. So we pray and, you know, God, I need a miracle. And then we just sit back. And we wait, and we do nothing. I think the people of Jerusalem maybe were expecting God to do a miracle, but that's not what God did. Instead, God surprised them with themselves. Up until the day the wall went up, the Israelites had God in a box, thinking that if he wanted to do something for them, he would just show up and do it miraculously. Maybe they expected to see God, but it definitely wasn't the way he showed up. Instead, throughout the whole story of Nehemiah, the people of Jerusalem, we learn a new lesson, which is that we can expect to see God, but not necessarily the God you expect. Together, the people of Jerusalem rebuilt the walls and the gates of the city in 52 days. In 52 days, at the astonishment of the skeptics, at the amazement of the leaders and the families, but most importantly, to the wonderment of a generation of kids and teenagers that were waiting on the sidelines. Some of them had never experienced what God could do through them. They had heard the stories of old, but they never experienced for themselves. And that's what I love about the book of Nehemiah. There's not one miracle, supernatural miracle, the way we think about it in the entire book of Nehemiah. Instead, God shows up in his people to do something through them when they worked together in unity towards one vision for one purpose. So don't miss this. God didn't show up in an obvious miracle in the story of Nehemiah. God showed up in his people. When we cry out as a church for revival, maybe God has helped wanting us to realize that we are the move of God that the world is waiting for. He already lives in us. But we've got to start working together, be willing to get involved, and to participate. God showed up in his people, and it changed how everyone saw God. Now, in the remainder of our time together today, I just want to point out three things that happened once the walls were rebuilt, three results that occurred because of the people's willingness to work together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The first thing that happened was that the skeptics outside the walls changed what they believed about God. Look at what Nehemiah writes in chapter 6, verse 16. It's in your notes. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. 
because, look at what he says next, they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The skeptics outside the walls, the enemies of Israel, changed what they believed about God because they realized the only way they were able to do what they did was that God was helping them. And how does Jesus in the New Testament say the world is going to know who we are? By our love for one another. Right? But love isn't love if it's not expressed through service. James says faith without works is dead. And so the way we love and serve one another, especially as it relates to the next generation, has the potential to change how the skeptics outside the walls change what they believe about God. I love that. That's why we're here as a church, to reflect who Jesus is to the world around us. And the way we work together can change how people who don't know God and are skeptical about faith can change what they believe about God. The second thing that happened once the walls were rebuilt is that those inside the walls changed how they listened to God. Look at Nehemiah 8, verse 3. It tells us that Ezra, the priest, opened up the scriptures and he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. That's a long Sunday school class. From daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate, which was one of the gates that they had repaired together, in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And look at this. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and preach for six hours like Ezra did, reading the book of the law to them from daybreak until noon. And I'm not even sure that that's the most interesting part of the Bible anyway. When it says the book of the law, it's referring to the first five books of the Bible, which was known to them as the Torah. But it says they listened attentively. Why? Because they realized that God was with them. They were like, wow, if we can do this together, man, I, I want to hear what God has for me. I want to hear what he says to say about how I'm supposed to live my life. I want to hear what is possible if I live my life his way. They listened attentively because what they did together changed how they saw God. It re-engaged their faith and changed how they listened to God. And it can do the same for us too. Those inside the walls are those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus. It's those of us who are gathered here together today as a community of faith. When we work together, it can change how we listen to God when we realize what we can accomplish when we work together. And the third thing that happened once the walls were rebuilt is that a generation changed how they worshiped God. In verse 17, there's a statement about how they worshiped. It says, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. I wonder if Nehemiah had any idea while he was doing the work, the difference it would really make. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind that the collective effort of rebuilding the town and the walls that surrounded it would be a part of the story of God that would be told for generations. 2,500 years later almost, we're here today telling the story of Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem working together. How we work together can change how a generation worships God. How we work together can change how a generation sees God. What's the faith of the next generation worth? 
What does it matter if we all feel good about fulfilling our religious obligation by coming to church here on Sunday? We can check off the box. If our kids, when they leave our home, aren't equipped and empowered with a faith that's practical and meaningful for them because they saw how it worked itself out in our lives. So when kids see adults who are just like them working together, they can imagine their potential because they see themselves in us. And so when they see us working together, they can imagine their potential. And when they see people who are different working together, they can imagine a bigger God. Because, I mean, all you got to do is turn on the news. It's depressing. But, like, it's constantly being thrown in our faces about all of the things that make us different. But when the next generation sees the people of God who, despite their differences, work together, it gives them a new image of God. They can imagine a bigger God. Don't underestimate how working together will inspire a generation to try and do what seems impossible. We want every kid to imagine a better world. We want every teenager to imagine a bigger God. And we want every parent to imagine a brighter future. So don't miss this opportunity. As a church, we need to reimagine the world that we're designing right now for the next generation. We need to stir the faith to a new level of wonder and amazement. We need to keep working together to do what seems impossible so that a generation will see God in a new way. That's what we want for this church. We want to work together in such a way that it inspires how a generation sees and worships God. And that's why we need you today to make a simple decision. Will you join us in helping a generation see God? Will you join us in engaging kids and students in our church? You have the opportunity to change a kid's understanding and perception of who God is by becoming a consistent leader in the life of a kid. And I know sometimes that word seems scary. You think about serving in kids' life or serving, you know, in Sparrow, our youth group, and you're like, well, I don't know how to teach. And listen, they just need people that are going to be in their lives. By becoming a consistent leader in the life of a kid, it can change the way they think about God and how they think about faith. And we can't do it without people like you who are going to step in as parents and with parents to fill the gap, to stand in the gap, to keep the enemy at bay. Help us change our community by influencing our kids, by empowering parents, and by leveraging whatever you have for the sake of the next generation. So how do we do that? Very simply, by getting involved, by showing up. The call to action today is the same as it was last week. If God is speaking to you about showing up and getting involved in doing something that you may not know how to do, you may not feel qualified to do it, then there's a card that is in the seat back pocket in front of you. I would encourage you right now to pull this out and to simply pray about what God would have you do. Fill out your name, email address, and phone number, and then just check the box or boxes that represent the age group that you'd like to get involved with. And then after I pray and dismiss you guys, you can take these cards to the information table at the back. And then later on this week, either Sarah Grice, our kids director, or Nate Rogers, our student pastor, will call you and follow up with you to give you your next step. 
And this isn't you signing your life away. This isn't you making an unending commitment. This is simply you letting us know that say, hey, I want to get involved. I want to roll up my sleeves. I want to be a consistent leader in the life of a kid or a student. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for men like Nehemiah in Scripture who were just going about their lives, doing their jobs, when they were moved to action, when they heard about the condition of his people in his town. Lord, and I recognize today that, as Paul said, it is you who works in us both to will and to act according to your purpose in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that over my church this morning. I know that your Holy Spirit is here. We sensed your presence as we worship, but God, I, as we open your word, I, I believe that your anointing increases as we lean in to discover what you have for us and live out our faith in a very real way. So God, I pray right now in this moment, you would work in us both to will that we would have the desire to be obedient and to act. It's you who works in us both to will and to act. The desire to do what's right and the power to do what's right both come from you. And so right now in this moment, I simply ask that you would speak to every heart about what their responsibility is when it comes to partnering with us as a church to name what's broken, to get up close and personal, to go see for ourselves so that we can demonstrate to the next generation that we are for them, that we believe in them, that we love them, that God's got a plan and a purpose for them. That they're not the generation of tomorrow, they're the generation of today. Lord, and I thank you that you really modeled this for us. As a parent, God, you are our heavenly father. And you didn't just view the problems from afar, you sent your son to go see for yourself. You became one of us to deal with the problem firsthand, up close and personal. You did what we couldn't do when you took the sin of mankind upon yourself. You stood in the gap when you hung on that cross. You who knew no sin became sin for us. And you said it is finished. And the veil in front of the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom, making it possible for any who would call on your name to run into your presence to be restored to a relationship with their heavenly father. Lord, you named the problem and you dealt with the problem and you invite us into a relationship with you where you place your Holy Spirit in us so that we can do the same for those who are far from you. Lord, help us as parents, as leaders, as the people of God to be willing to stand in the gap for the sake of the next generation. Lord, that we would be a people who don't just hear about your word and then walk away, do nothing about it, like it's walking away from a mirror, forgetting what we look like. But God, we would be a people who take a step and walk in obedience and we do what it says. Lord, we're excited for what you're building in this church, how we're growing because we know, God, that anything that's healthy grows and we want to keep growing because we want to keep reaching more people who are far from you. God, I pray that if any of us ever pushes back against that 
small church mentality that says, well, I, I, I don't want to be a part of a growing church because I, I want to be known. Yes, it's important to be known, but God, you've called us to be the church. You've called us to take ground from the enemy. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The gates of hell should not prevail against your church, which means we should always be advancing. We should always be reaching. We should always be sharing the love of Jesus with the people around us. And as we work together to do that, God, may it change how the skeptics outside the walls believe about you. May it change how we inside the walls listen to you, God. May we lean in and attune our ears to hear what you're telling us. And may it change how the next generation worships you. May they be fully engaged, fully knowing who you are because they've watched their parents and the adults model faith in action. Have your way in us, God. As we leave here today, I just pray that you would help us all to just simply be obedient to what you're calling each of us to do. In your powerful and precious name, we pray all God's people said, amen. Well, church, I love you guys so much. I hope, I hope that you've enjoyed this series and that you'll be a part of helping us impact the next generation. Don't forget to turn this card in if you want to get involved to the information area. With that, you guys are dismissed. Have a great week. God bless. I love you so much.